here is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Is it even possible to have a nation without a border? Inside in 60 seconds. Glenn Beck program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. You saw the images, did you not? Three busloads of illegal aliens dropped off at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. That's where the vice president lives, the official residence of the vice president. So Vice President Kamala Harris had some eh, unexpected guests. The left is telling us this is just brutal and vicious and ugly. How dare you do this? It's all directed at Texas Governor Greg Abbott, and I guess part of it a couple of months ago directed at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Isn't it more brutal and ugly and unfair to say all the gates are open, everybody come in, just jump into the pool? Now, we don't have any lifeguards on duty, but just jump into the pool. And if you can't swim, it's okay because, well, something will happen. That's the analogy. There's no control here. I'm not telling you that you, you, you stand up and say, we don't ever want anybody new to come into the United States of America. That is not how we operate. And we are essentially a nation of immigrants. Totally understand that. If you're of a certain age, you can identify when your family came to the United States of America. In most cases, not all, but in most cases. And so we embrace that. But at the moment, it seems as if we just, we don't even have a border anymore. And so what happens? How many people are are here? How many people are here illegally? Where are they? What are they doing? I don't know. Tony Pham is... A friend, Tony Pham and his family with PH, uh, are the embodiment of the American dream. Oh, and Tony Pham was also President Trump's ICE director. A couple of little details you need to know, and I'm happy to say Tony is joining us. Tony, welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes, sir. Yeah, the uh, the pleasure is mine. You have spent so much time on the border or at what I guess technically is the border, because it seems as if uh, it's not being secured anymore. What, What exactly is going on these days down there? Jeff, let me say this. It's unfortunate. Uh, I've been to the border in my official capacity as the acting director and even in my capacity as a civilian, believe it or not more times than our president and our vice president have. And so that should already tell you some of the, the disdain that I think this administration has about securing our southern border. Um, what's happening right now is just a massive, colossal uh, humanitarian crisis, epic proportions created by the poor policies that are being implemented by the Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, given free, uh, free reign and discretion by the administration. Um, to claim that this border is secure when, in fact, the data itself has indicated and shown that our border is anything but secure. I'll remind folks that back in 2020, our border apprehensions were only at 646,000 apprehensions. 
the first year of the Biden administration, uh, 2021, border apprehensions skyrocketed to 1.7 million. And then most recently in 2022, we're at 2.3 million. So there's, some, there's a policy in place. There's a statement or whether overt or subconscious uh, to a lot of these folks that our border is open with this administration because of their lack of enforcement posture. Um, and it's time to come to the southern border and try to cross over while they can um, because the border is open, contrary to what um, this administration is trying to tell the American people. And so it's very disheartening to see these images of hundreds, if not thousands, of individuals sleeping in the streets of El Paso. Yeah. And you mentioned on the top of your segment, forgive me, Jeff, that um, the left is claiming uh, how in- inhumane this treatment is to drop busloads in front of the vice president's house. But they failed to say anything about the mayor of El Paso purposely busing people into the interior of the United States just so he could free up from space in the city, and that's a Democrat city. Right. And they haven't said anything. Or the secret migrant flights that this administration has been doing for months flying um, illegal aliens into the interior of the United States. So they pick and choose their outrage, which is just hypocritical, in my opinion. And Tony, as... Uh this administration, again, attacks conservatives. Conservatives are the evil people here, terrible, terrible people, Republicans, just just awful folks. Uh, Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, member of Congress, longtime member of Congress from Texas, he is standing up. He's getting a lot of pushback from the Biden team because Congressman Cuellar is saying, no, the, the border is not secured and stop lying to people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And let's, let's rem- remind the listeners, this border issue is a national security issue. Yeah. And this national security issue should never be a partisan matter for folks to use uh, against one another. Uh, you know, when these, I can't, when I was in service uh, in the administration, I could not emphasize enough how securing our border was the first step in preserving our national security. We all know why the U.S. Department of Homeland Security was formed, and it was formed in the wake of the terrible, horrendous September 11th terrorist attacks. But, you know, 20-some years later, we forget that. And we begin to to fail to remember that those individuals exploited our immigration pathways to to commit one of the worst terrorist attacks, if not the worst terrorist attacks, on U.S. soil. And so I don't understand where we as an administration this administration has pivoted their lack of enforcement in securing our border uh, because, and, and, and failing to see how their inaction or, or their proactive action in peeling back some of the, the policies that the Trump administration put in place that helped stem the migration um, is, is not playing into weakening our national security footprint, Jeff. I just don't understand where they see this. I don't understand it either. Tony Pham is joining us. Uh, Tony was President Trump's ICE director. And uh, I asked this question, Tony, and, 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 and some are, are, are thinking it's hi- hyperbolic, but I, I'm sincere in this, Tony. Can we have a nation if we don't have a border? No, no, we can't. And that's, that's inherent in in every single nation, not just the United States. Every nation has to enforce its borders to in, ensure its own sovereignty. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of folks talk about wanting to be very compassionate. The United States is one of the most generous nations on this planet when it comes to granting immigration relief. 
The mm-hmm. only issue is how do we expect people to avail themselves of that relief? It's not crossing over the Rio Grande River in the dark of night trying to evade apprehension or detection. If you have a bona fide claim for asylum, like so many people do uh, claim they do when they're apprehended, show up to a land board port of entry, land bridge port of entry. Right. Surrender yourself for inspection mm-hmm. and then make and lay your claim for asylum. You know, we, <laughs> if I tell you, you, you mentioned at the top of your segment, um, if we don't have a process, then what do we tell about all of those Afghan refugees who are still stuck across seas and their refugee camps waiting for proper vetting and process? These are allies who help the United States military. Right. What do we tell them? Yeah. That uh, just, just try to figure out a way to get to the southern border. If you're able to sneak across, we'll catch and release you into the interior, and then you're free to go. But if you go the right way, which is the refugee path, then we'll, we'll have to keep you over there uh, in a foreign country while you wait for proper uh, vetting and sponsorship. That, that's the, that's the, the issue. I think that's the message and issue that a lot of people are forgetting. Tony, there, there is, there's, in fact, is a young man, uh, probably one of your neighbors in Henrico County, Virginia, who is in that situation. He, he's being told, listen, uh, your, your visa or whatever it is expires in six months. He's lived here fundamentally his entire life. He's made all of the applications. He's done what he's supposed to do. And he has other family members, including a disabled brother he, he takes care of. And, he is jumping through all these hoops and he's terrified now. Am I going to be able to graduate uh, from high school? Am, am I am I going to go back to uh, the country that uh, Jordan, I think it's Jordan, that theoretically I'm from, although I've never really been there, when he looks at the television set and says, man, all I got to do is get to Mexico, sneak back in, and I'm, I'm good to go. It, it, it's shameful. Jeff, you hit the nail on the head. I, I, my heart bleeds for that young man. I mean, really, we make it when when you hear politicians talk about our immigration system being broken. It's not the enforcement section of the uh, unlawful entry portion or illegal immigration that's broken. Right. Right. My experience, having been both the principal legal advisor uh, for ICE as well, then the active director, what's broken is our pathways to normalize immigration uh, status for those who follow the lawful pathway to get here. My family and I waited for 10 years. When we came to this country in 75 as refugees, we went through all the processes. We paid all the fees. We, we did what we ne- needed to do. And in 10 years, we were granted naturalized citizenship and, and, and permanency here in the United States. It's that young man you just mentioned. And that, he's not the only story, Jeff. When I was in service, I, I got phone call after phone call after phone call of so many people who were, who were stuck in this environment where they were potentially awaiting uh, renewal of their visa, right. trying to normalize their status. But there was delay after delay after delay. And these are the individuals who are professionals that we want to hear in the United States as immigrants who went the right way to get here. Yep. But yet, on the other hand... We're seeing this administration allowing thousands upon thousands of individuals entering into this country. And I, I, I will point this one little nugget because I think you and I should probably talk about this within the next six months. With all these individuals who are being permitted to the United States illegally, yeah. no one's asked a question about the court docket, right? There's mm. a Title VIII court system because as a principal legal advisor, I tracked all the numbers. I was always trying to stay on top of how many people will we, how many cases will we be able to get to hearing, not close administratively, Jeff. There's a mm-hmm. huge difference and we should talk about that. 
Yeah. How many hearings can we get before the judges so the, the immigrant can have their day in court and allow the judge to make the determination of whether this individual has a bona fide claim for asylum or not, right? Or should be removed. When you allow this many people into the United States under the Title VIII pathway, it is a massive burden on the immigration uh, court system that we already have here now. I'm curious to see within the next, in 2023, Mm -hmm. someone, uh, congressional oversight should ask this question, how many cases have ICE administratively closed without hearing under the prosecutorial discretion memo that was issued by the current PLA? That's a great point, Tony. I'm going to have to break it there. I appreciate you being with us. Uh, We will chat again for sure. That is Tony Pham. Tony served as the principal legal advisor. He served as the director of ICE. He is concerned, to put it mildly, about this unsecured border. It is Jeff Katz in for Glenn Beck. It is the Glenn Beck Program. It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. By the way, I get all of my footwear advice from Glenn. I kid you not. I am, as we speak, wearing my Tacovas boots. One of my two pairs of Tacovas. Uh, I bought them both for myself because I just didn't want to wait for anybody else in my family to do it and do it properly. And number two, before I came out here to work, I was inside in the house wearing my slippers from Mike Lindell. I'm telling you, best stuff you are ever going to put on your feet. Facebook is or is not doing stuff that it maybe should or should not do. I I can't quite figure it out. Now, they used to have the like button. Now, everybody has said, wait a minute, Jeff, you, you said to please go and like your page, The Jeff Katz Show on Facebook. And I have to spell Katz, apparently, K-A-T-Z. Jeff, there's no like button. It's just a follow button. I don't know if that's a thing or not, if that's it says something that Facebook is doing to say, hey, we don't want people paying attention, or they just changed it. I'm not quite a Luddite, but eh. either way, if you go to Facebook and you look for The Jeff Cat Show, would you give it a like or give it a follow, whichever one is available to you? I just want to see if the numbers uh, do anything. And then over on Twitter, it's The Jeff Cat Show. I told you I hate the cold. I hate the snow. I hate the ice. The, the highlight of the blizzard conditions we've seen across America the last couple of days comes from Iowa. There, there's a television sportscaster there who apparently got pressed into service uh, to do one of the, the stand-ups, you know, where the guys go out or the gals go out and they've got their station jacket on so you see which station they are and they're, they're holding a microphone and they go, oh, you know, Biff, it's terrible out here. It's 18 feet of snow and it's minus 106 degrees and my toes are freezing, but I am happy to be here. Sports guy in Iowa, not happy to be there. Let's take a listen. Mark, how are you feeling out there? Uh, again, uh, the same way I felt about eight minutes ago when you asked me that same question, right? I normally do sports. Uh, everything is canceled here for the next couple of days. So what better time to ask the sports guy to come in about five hours normally uh, earlier than he would normally wake up, go stand out in the wind and the snow and the cold and tell other people not to do the same. I didn't even realize that there was a 3.30 also in the morning. Uh, until today. It's absolutely uh, fantastic, Ryan. You know, I'm used to these evening shows that are only 30 minutes long, and generally on those shows, I'm 
inside. So uh, this is a really long show. Tune in for the next couple hours to watch me progressively get crankier and crankier. How do I get that uh, Storm Chaser 7 duty? I, I feel like Clint got the uh, better end of that deal. You know, that thing's heated. Um, the outdoors currently is not heated. Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan, I've, I've got good news and, and I've got bad news. The, the good news is that I can still feel my face right now. The bad news is I kind of wish I couldn't. Can I go back to my regular job? I, I'm pretty sure, Ryan, that you guys added an extra hour to this show just because somebody likes torturing me because compared to two and a half hours ago, it is just getting colder and colder. Live in Waterloo for the last time this morning. Thankfully, I'm Mark Woodley, New 7 KWWL. <laughs> I love the guy. I really do. One of the few honest people in the uh, the local news arena. I hate it. It's cold out here. I'm miserable. You people stink. I uh, I should be talking about sports. That's what I do is I talk about sports. Where do you think he goes now? Does he get a promotion at the uh, television station he's with today? Or does somebody else call him and say, you know, you're really funny. Oh, you're cranky as all get out. You really don't seem like uh, a pleasant guy to be around, at least during this situation. But man, we really appreciate what you said. It reminds me of the the TV news people who go out after a fire. And it's the same anywhere you are. There's a terrible fire. People have lost everything. The family has lost every single belonging. And it's either around Thanksgiving or Christmas. Well, we had a we had a frayed wire surrounding a tree that was dead and we stuck it in a bucket of water. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, your house caught on fire. You lost everything. How do you feel? Oh, do you really want to answer that question? Do you need an answer to that question? How do you feel? Well, I feel as if I've lost everything and you're a nitwit for asking me the question. That's this guy, right? It's the same as I was eight minutes ago, Biff. It's cold out here. It's snowy out here. It's icy out here. And you are sitting in the studio, warm and toasty with fresh baked pastries and a steaming hot cup of coffee. I hate you with a passion. Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. Glenn Beck program, Jeff Katz. Happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. Uh, K-A-T-Z. I can't tell you how many folks say Jeff. You got to spell your last name. All right, there you go. K-A-T-Z. Normally on uh, News Radio WRVA in Central Virginia. Beautiful Central Virginia. I used to look at Canada and think, huh, kind of a neat place. Canada always struck me as, as our attic. You know, every once in a while you go up there and you look around and say, wow, there's all kinds of neat stuff I forgot about. 
Uh, there's the uh, toy that I had as a little kid. Oh, that's so cute. I'm going to give it to my kid. But I'm not just going to give it to him. I'm going to wrap it up first and pretend it's a real gift. And then we scratch, uh, we scratch a night off of Hanukkah. My dad used to do that. Uh, not because he was a mean person, but because we were poor. We, no, we really were. We were poor. And he would get us gifts. My mom and dad would get us gifts for Hanukkah, eight nights in Hanukkah. All my other pals were getting a gift every night. My dad would always figure out a way to disassemble the gift. So we would get a piece every night. And then on the eighth night, we get the final piece. And I'd be like, yeah, there you go. Happy Hanukkah. <sighs> Thanks so much. Canada, like your attic though, right? Every once in a while, you go up there and you look around and say, wow, this is really cool. I forgot about all of this. Heidi and I used to be in Montreal all the time. In fact, I should tell you this, when Barack Obama was president, I know, I didn't mean to say that out loud, but there you go. Remember when Barack Obama, no, the first time, not now, because if you look at Joe Biden now, you do see Barack Obama off to the side, right? Like like the wizard in The Wizard of Oz. He's pushing the buttons and pulling the strings, and, and Joe Biden is just sort of like a giant presidential meat puppet, and he kind of sort of moves, and, and, and his, his lips sometimes say the words he's supposed to say. And anyway, first time Barack Obama is president, Heidi and I said I, to each other, I, I, I don't know if we want to live in the United States of America right now. It's a horrible thing to say. Because I love my country. I'm proud to be an American. I love everything about my country. But boy, I I just, I, I had such, such a vision of what could happen. And sadly, in many cases, did happen. And Heidi and I were much younger then. And we loved Montreal. And, and, and real estate prices in Quebec were dirt cheap. Honest to goodness. It was just nothing. We said, okay. Let's move to Montreal. How cool would this be? And we started. I started calling whatever the Canadian Immigration Service is, explaining to them, well, I, I'm a talk show host. I'm not going to take a job away from anybody here. Uh, my, my show is not going to be here in, in Quebec. It'll, it'll be back in, in Boston. And, and, and I just have the equipment here. And... I speak a little French. My wife uh, speaks French. My my oldest boy at that time was learning French. We were really set. They're like, oh my gosh, Mr. Katz. That's wonderful. Oh, we'd love to have you. How much money do you have in the bank? And we told him, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Okay. And then I shared with them the story about my daughter. Because they asked about the children. I said, well, my oldest boy was in whatever grade he was in and he was already learning French, and my youngest boy eh, didn't really know much about anything because he was a tiny little guy, but if he had the same language talents that his mom and his, his older brother have, he, he would be good. So, oh, great. And your daughter? I said, well, no, she does, she's not going to speak French. Why is she not going to speak French? Said, well, because she doesn't speak English either. What? Said, well, she doesn't speak. Oh, why is that? And this guy who had been so friendly and helpful and hopeful, and I had spoken to these folks for, it seemed like weeks or months, because we were really going to do it. We were going to buy a place. It was, I think it was like 60 miles south of Montreal, a farm sort of thing. And we we're going to put the, the technology at that time, it was called ISDN, put that in there so I could do my show. 
transfer money into a Canadian bank, the whole thing. I had talked to moving companies about how much it would cost to move from Boston to Quebec. We were serious about it. And then he asked for a little more information about Julia. And I, I gave it to him. So, well, she's, she's severely disabled, but it's not a health sort of a thing. She's really a sturdy, tough little girl, but she's never going to be advanced chronologically past where she is. And, and that's the case now. I mean, here she is 19 years old. Develop, uh, chronologically rather, but developmentally 18 months old. So I explained that to him and, he's, and his entire to- tone changed. Well, uh, you'll you'll never be able to come here. Why? Well, we the healthcare system. So I thought you guys were all about free healthcare for everybody. Well, yeah, but your daughter might use more resources. It's not a health, it doesn't matter. That was it. The conversation was over. You will never, ever, ever get a landed immigrant permit. You will never be able to live here. Never, ever, ever. So that was it. It was over. So I know the Canadian system and the people who are in the Canadian system are not nearly as as likable as you would think. We've seen it with Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of the Lucky Sperm Club, as he cracked down on truckers. I saw it not too long ago, and then I'm going to share with you what these folks did with Mrs. Claus. Oh, shameful. We'll do that in a moment. But I used to love listening to the big talk radio station out of Montreal. And they have a trivia show that's run for 40 years, 50 years. It's been on there forever with a variety of hosts. And every Sunday morning from 9 until noon was my time. I'd say to Heidi, no, I'm... I'm sitting down here with the trivia show and I have this big steaming cup of coffee and it was just so much fun. And then I'm looking at social media one day and one of the guys on there is talking about how much he hates America. And then there's another tweet about how much he hates America and then a third tweet about how much he hates America. And as much as I love that show and I did, I stopped listening. I couldn't listen anymore. I just wasn't going to be part of something that involved somebody who would say, I hate America. Because at least for me, I I would never say that. I would never say I hate Canada. Because by extension, you would say you hate Canadians. So somebody who says, I hate America, I think by extension says they, they hate Americans. Take a listen to the the big medical poobah in Canada and this twisted conversation that occurred right before Christmas with Mrs. Claus. Well, kids, I'm just doing my yearly call to the North Pole for Santa's holiday health check. (laughs) Why, hello, Dr. Tam. Mrs. Claus, so good to see you again. Where did Santa go? Oh, Santa was late for snow yoga with the elves and reindeer. He says it's great cross-training for sleigh driving. Sounds fun. Are you all set for the holiday season? Of 
course. I, I must say, Dr. Tam, it just warms my heart to see everyone in Canada, especially kids, working so hard to keep the holidays safe and cheerful for all. So am I, Mrs. Claus. Every child in Canada has definitely earned a place on the nice list. Their parents and caregivers too. It's been a tough season with lots of viruses making people sick. Thankfully, Santa and I are feeling as healthy as ever. We are both up to date with our vaccinations, including COVID boosters and flu shots. That's so good to hear. I always tell Santa to make a list and check it twice. One, stay up to date on your vaccinations. Two, wear a mask in crowded indoor places and make sure it fits nice and snug. Three, Wash your hands to the tune of jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Great advice. Great voice too. Also, you can be sure to stay at home if you're feeling sick. And if you're gathering indoors with other people or elves, open a door or a window with for a few minutes at a time to let in some fresh air. The more items you check off the list, the more protected you are. Yes, you can think of it like decorating a tree. You need tinsel, lights, ornaments, and the star on top. The tree is at its best when all the decorations are up and nicely layered. Thanks, Mrs. Claus. Happy holidays, everyone. Really? No. No, no, no. En français, no. No, I'm not wearing a mask again. Thank you for asking, Mrs. Claus. No. Unless it's Halloween or I am unexpectedly called in to surgery, uh, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm done. Thank you very much. And this is the weird part for me. I've never been thrilled about germs. I'm not quite a germaphobe, but man, I have always had two giant bottles of Purell on my desk. But the more we learn, about COVID, and the more we are seeing now with COVID theater, the less impressed I am with the information coming from my federal government or the Canadian government or anybody's government. We'll talk a little bit about that because it is getting, well, it's getting to a point where we're now hearing more people, more people as the, as the left is concerned. And that's what this is. It's all science, right? We were supposed to follow the science. We just didn't know it was political science that was being followed. I'll give you a few details on that in a moment. Now, social media, I, I'm going to spell it for you because people asked, you know, my neighborhood, it's a common spelling, but not everywhere. K-A-T-Z. So on Twitter, please give a uh, follow to The Jeff Cat Show over on Twitter, The Jeff Cat Show on Twitter. It's same thing on Getter and on Facebook. If you give it a follow, I'd appreciate it. The Jeff Katz Show. It is Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program. It's the Glenn Beck Program. Jeff Katz, happy to be sitting in for my friend Glenn. Not knocking Canadians, I promise you. Just a little put off by involving Mrs. Claus in this. Well, everybody's got to get uh, vaccinated and vaccinated again, and then three more vaccinations and uh, 12 masks. You're going to have to wear 12 masks and, and a pair of boots and muckla. I mean, come on. Give it a break. At some point, I think you have to make your own decisions on living life. 
over in England. Remember them? They just announced they will no longer be providing COVID details. What does it mean? It means, as they've said, well, we have to live with COVID. You'll have to make a decision as to whether you should go out or what you should do. In other words, they're going to treat people like adults. Wow. Uh, There's somebody who is a big-time medical expert on CNN. I want you to take a listen to her advice to, well, the unvaccinated and how miserable your life should be. I think this really depends on what it is that we do at this point. So now we have this Delta variant that is much more contagious. Because it's more contagious, it's going to be even harder for us to reach herd immunity. We're going to have to vaccinate an even higher proportion of people to get there. What happens then if we end up having another variant developing that's even more contagious, that could cause more disease, that could evade the protection of our immune system? And so how quickly we get this under control and which way we go depends on what we do now now when it comes to vaccination, to overcoming disinformation. And what we really need to do at this point is to make vaccination the easy choice. It needs to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated. Right now, it's kind of the opposite. It's fine. I mean, it's easy if you're unvaccinated. You can do everything you want to do anyway. But at some point, these mandates by workplaces, by schools, I think it will be important to say, hey, you can opt out. But if you want to opt out, you have to sign these forms. You have to get twice weekly testing. Basically, we need to make getting vaccinated the easy choice that is what it's going to take for us to actually end the pandemic oh is that what it is because they did that and what's happened well anytime you dare to raise your hand and say excuse me is this working how dare you spread disinformation or misinformation i'm just asking by the way that lady there the cnn medical analyst she just now has said oh actually In retrospect, what we've learned is that natural immunity seems to be more effective than the vaccine. That's what a lot of people said from the very beginning. I understand there was was a frenzy. There was a hysteria. There really was. And there were people who were thinking, my gosh, this is the end of civilization. We're all going to die. It's like the zombie apocalypse and a meteor hit the planet. It's all over. I looked at my son, my really... Brilliant son who's a student at Stanford. It's amazing. It's the first time in, in, in an hour I've mentioned that. I try and work it into every conversation, but he's a Stanford guy. He was of the opinion we all needed to wear masks and, and those big bubble suits like the Michelin man and, and, and hide under our beds. And I didn't. And he was angry. Oh, he was livid with me. How dare you do this? You know, you're going to endanger. Listen, Harry. I love you. I do. And I I respect the fact that you are far smarter at age 21 than I will ever be. I mean, he really is. He's a brilliant guy. I said, but I've lived through all of these other end-of-the-world things. Ebola, bird flu, swine flu, the new flu, and I'm still here and kicking. It's Jeff Katz in for Glenn. It is the Glenn Beck Program. The Glenn Beck Program.